on the Mount is not just Matthew chapter 5. It's Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, okay? This is what's, that whole sermon goes for several chapters, and this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' pivotal teaching, okay? Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can one of, any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or... What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And as I was, as I was going over this scripture, I was thinking, yeah, this is it. This is the call to simplicity. Um, I was doing a little bit of research, and I've, I've read some quotes to you before about Soren Kierkegaard, a great philosopher, um, he says this when he's, he's looking at this passage of Scripture, and this is, what, this is his commentary. He says, but what does this mean? So at, having read what we just read, he looks at that and says, what does this mean? What am, I, what am I to do? What kind of striving is it of which it can be said that it seeks or desires the kingdom of God? Ought I to get a position corresponding to my abilities and powers in order to bring this about? No. You are first to seek the kingdom of God. Of course, that's my emphasis with the italics in there. You are first to seek the kingdom of God. But does this then mean that in a sense there is nothing for me? Oh, sorry. Ought I to give all my fortune to the poor? No. You are first to seek the kingdom of God. But does this then mean that in a sense there is nothing for me to do? Quite right. <laughs> that's what he says. Quite right. There is, in a sense, nothing there's nothing for me to do. In the very deepest sense, you are to make yourself nothing, to become nothing before God and learn to keep silent. And it is in this silence that you begin to seek what must come first, the kingdom of God. So Kierkegaard is looking at Jesus' words, and he's also looking at Paul's words, which we're going to get into in a minute. But the first thing he says we do in following Jesus is really simple. Do nothing but seek first the kingdom of God. And here's the deal. When he says do nothing, I think we are a people that are terribly, terribly afraid of doing nothing. We can't do nothing. We literally can't. We, you probably have had the urge while you're in here to flip out your phone and do something with it, okay? You're already thinking about what comes next after church, just like me, okay? It's, we are terrified of doing nothing. So to get at this a different way, uh, what is the antonym of simplicity? 
The antonym, the opposite of that, is complexity. Our lives are very complex. We've made them very complex. Um, And the question is here, is your life complicated to the point that you can't seek first the kingdom of God? Is it so complicated that that doesn't even come into your mind or in your heart or in your soul when the day's routine comes at you? I can't seek first the kingdom of God because X, Y, Z, there's all these other things. Does it even come up on your radar? Okay. Simplicity then is just really single-mindedness on seeking first the kingdom of God. Okay. So let's talk about some things that complicate our ability to seek first the kingdom of God. And this is not an exhaustive list, and you probably will have kind of had the intuition that some of these were coming. The first one is so obvious. It's so obvious. You've, if you've been in church for five minutes, you've heard a thousand sermons on this in five minutes. And then the first one is just this, money and stuff. These things complicate our lives. They do complicate our lives. And this is not a sermon on money, by the way, and tithing or anything like that. Um, I want to show you a quote from a, a professor that I followed down at, um, uh, in Portland at a seminary there. His name is Nijay Gupta, and he says this, uh, Paul taught enrichment through Christian simplicity, not accumulation. It's trendy in both the Christian and secular world to buy, buy, buy. We think more is the answer. We just have to decide what the right product is. It's trendy to have the stuff that other people want. But yes, Paul was untrendy in this too. He knew, this is a key sentence, let this one sink in. He knew what it was like to have plenty, but he knew that there was no end to wanting. You catch that? You can have plenty and you could still want and want and want a whole lot more. So what is he saying? He's saying attachment to money and things are, are some of the biggest obstacles to simplicity in our lives. There are things that are the biggest roadblocks to seeking the kingdom first. Uh, I, I have all the gadgets. We're going to talk about this one in a minute, just real briefly. Like, I have all the gadgets. I have an iPhone. I obviously have an iPad. I was gifted for, for my family an, uh, an, what is it called, an Apple Watch. I wanted to say iWatch. I'm kind of still wondering, like, what does this do for me, right? It is no joke. Do you know what all the little apps are called when you put it on the watch? Anybody know what they're called? They're, they're called com- complexities complexes or something like that when you put them on there. And I'm like, is this making my, wife, my life simpler or my life more complex, you know? Um, can't even believe it. Uh, actually, they're not called, comp- they're called complications. Sorry, they're called complications. And this is for something that's supposed to make your, your life more simple. Um, the money that we accumulate and hoard, the long hours that we work. How many of you work long hours Still, yeah, long hours. We work those long hours away from our friends and our family and our homes, and it keeps us from community, and it keeps us away from Christ. So whether you grew up in financial security, and it, that affects the way you handle money now, um, or whether you grew up with, you know, if you grew up with plenty, and maybe your focus is always on keeping that standard of living, and making sure that your kids do too. Or if you're like, I grew up with nothing, and I want, I, and I want to hoard stuff, or I don't know how to spend well, and it seems like I still have nothing because I don't know how to manage my money. All I want you to see is that um, we nurture these strange attachments to money and things. We do. And 
it makes our lives complicated. And complicated is the exact opposite of simplicity. So then there's this one. And I, and I hesitate to put this up here because every time I say this word, all of you kind of go, ooh, you know, but it's politics. And what better time to put it up there? I'm going to just be very frank and honest with you. Let's put it up there for a minute. We make our lives about right-wing and left-wing politics, about being conservative or progressive. doesn't matter which one it is. Those things are not Jesus. Those things are not Jesus. They are not the fullness of the gospel. But I see Christian brothers and sisters spending enormous amounts of time, time on social media yelling on social media, whatever their position is. And this matters because the result of focusing on that is your lives become complicated and they are not seeking first the kingdom of God. You might say it is, but, uh, and we've said this over and over in here, and I'll make it really clear, make it really clear. Jesus had a politic. And his politic was love. His politic was love. Write that down. <laughs> write, that in your, write that in your journal. His politic was love. So uh, that's, I'm just going to let that hang for you. Write politics down, you know. That in this season, that can consume you. And you will not seek the, the, first the kingdom of God if that consumes you, okay? So I decided to put it in there. Then there's the pleasure. Obviously, there's things that, we, that are pleasurable to us, but we pursue them. We work to the bone for 50 weeks of the year so we can have two weeks off for pleasure, you know? Um, technology, which I already mentioned, technology. We have, we have this technology that's supposed to, you know, put the world at our fingertips and make everything easier. It keeps us from a moment that Christ could be speaking to you, okay? that he could perhaps be speaking to you. All of this technology actually makes our life more complicated. I love that I was talking to one of our members here this morning who told me he went on vacation and he and his wife, uh, they hardly took any pictures. And I was like, yes. He's like, we just deeply sat and were present to each other and the, the place that we were in and enjoyed it. And I was like, there you go. Just put the iPhone away, you know. Another thing that, accumulates, that, that really keeps our lives complicated is accumulating knowledge, okay? This is a big one. This is a massively big one, especially in this tribe of church, the Christian church. We're like addicted to being know-it-alls about the Bible and having facts. That doesn't make you like Jesus. You can know everything and not be like Jesus. We like intellect for the sake of our ego. We, we enjoy it. We have shows called Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy for a reason, folks, okay? Because we, we all want to be at home and be like, I know, I got the answer before they did, you know? If it, yeah. What happens when we're so confident in our own intellect is we lean on our own understandings. We lean on our own understandings instead of God's understanding, and it makes our life complicated. And we miss out on the simplicity of Christ. We don't seek first the kingdom of heaven because... We've got a lot of other options. We have endless other options. We busy ourselves with so much more than Christ that it produces anxiety in us. 
and we are the most anxious people that have ever lived, according to like all the all the all the polls that they put out on this kind of stuff. You know, every single one of them says we are more anxious than ever. And you think about those studies. I think about them, and we're we're the most anxious people ever. But it should be the opposite, because we have everything. We're so blessed. That's what Jesus is addressing in Matthew 6 when he's like, don't be anxious about these things. It's much more simple than that. Seek first the kingdom of God. We have the most, and I know terrible things happen in this world. Terrible things are happening right now. People who study this kind of say, though, stuff say that right now uh, is the best time to ever live. I know the world looks violent, but it, it's actually much less violent than it has been. It, it is. And... We should feel pretty good about that, but we don't. We feel depressed and anxious and overwhelmed. And Jesus is saying, if you take this inner attitude of simplicity and seek first the kingdom of God and let that follow into outer actionable things that you do, your life will be simple. Simplicity unburdens us from the anxiety that, that is pressing down on us. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 2.2. He says, For I decided to know nothing among, among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Think about that. Think about everything you know. He's basically, basically saying, I've got all these degrees. I've got all this experience in the school of hard knocks. I have a trade. I have a skill set. I know all of this stuff. And it doesn't mean anything. He says, I've decided to put that on the shelf and know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Basically, he's saying to all of us who follow Jesus, have no other identity but in God. So simplicity, it's not for its own sake, but to develop a deeper and closer relationship with Christ, to be closer to him. And I have to say that that really... The, the, problem, the problem for us as modern-day American Christians is that we know tons more stuff and we identify with many more things than just Jesus, right? Think about when you get together with your friends and you're just talking over dinner or over coffee or on the phone. What do you end up bringing up in conversation besides all of your ailments and whatever bothered you that day? And then when it comes to whatever you're into, what are you telling them about, you know? For me, I love, I love talking about uh, uh, the climate change and uh, electric uh, battery-powered vehicles and solar. I love talking about that stuff to the point that it's super annoying to my wife. And I love bringing it up. But that's not Jesus. And I could tell you how those things fit into God's plan for this world, <laughs> you know, I could make it all about what I know and not lean on, and lean on my own understanding, right? But that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus and him crucified. And that's not, I'm not saying this to be anti-intellectual. I think we are called to be very intellectual people and use our brains and our bodies for the kingdom. But I think Paul was an incredibly smart person who was highly skilled, and that was very good. But he says, I decided to know nothing except Jesus and him crucified. The point is, he says, I decided. We have to decide too. We have to make a decision to seek first the kingdom of God in all these little seemingly insignificant moments, right? They seem insignificant. 
It seems insignificant that I pull out my phone however many times in an hour when I could like stop and pray, right? Or open my Bible. At the very least, if I can't help from pulling out my phone, then I'm going to flip open to the Bible app, right? Instead of Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is, Twitter. John Mark Comer is a pastor down in Portland. He talks about something, because he's old enough and I'm old enough, he talks about something that we used to know about, and it's called being bored. <laughs> Anybody else used to be bored when you were a kid? Like you'd sit there, like my son, I, I had to, he wanted to spend his allowance on buying a bow and arrow. Okay? So I sat him down and I said, we will go out in the backyard and I will show you how to make a bow and arrow. I made hundreds of them when I was a kid. My brother and I, you know, like we lived down in Arizona by an orange grove. And I had like nine forts in the orange grove and I lost all my dad's tools and a good selection chunk of my mom's cutlery. Like two, because I'd take it out there to eat. I don't know. Anyway, um, I'm like, you don't need to buy this thing. Like, let's go make one, you know? Because I was bored. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to go outside and I'm going to cut a branch off of our lemon tree or our grapefruit tree, and I'm going to make a bow and arrow. And my brother and I are going to get in a lot of trouble. But what if perhaps you're stalled in traffic for a little bit, or you're in line at the grocery store, and you don't look at your phone, and you don't turn on the radio? There was a thing called being bored, and he says, those are moments, their moments of boredom are portals for prayer. Seeking first the kingdom of God. Where God gives you these moments where you can connect with him. Uh, my, my old mentor uh, gave me this book um, by Brother Lawrence called Practicing the Presence of God. I've read it two or three times. And that's not saying anything because it's like a book that's this big and it's like that thin. Okay, So you can read it several times like in a day if you wanted to. But over the years I've read it two or three times. Um, and it's, it's a really significant book. It's written by Brother Lawrence, who was a monk, you know, back in the Middle Ages. And it's this book where he talks about praying without ceasing in every moment. And here he is. He's doing the gardening, and he's taken out the trash for the monastery. And he's most of his time is spent in the kitchen washing the dishes. And he just talks very plainly about how much he loves it because there are just, it's just this set-aside time of, of focus and prayer for him, where he can pray for all of the people that he knows, and he can pray to God about what he's thinking, um, and he can listen. It's very, very simple. How far is that from our lives now? You know, like I was washing the dishes the other day, and I'm listening to an audio book, you know, and that's fine, and um, it wasn't a Christian audio book, you know, it was like a space fantasy book, but um, how different is that from our lives now? Because we made everything so complicated. I was thinking about how to say this best when I was working on this this week, and here's what I came up to, we came up with, we are allergic, we are allergic to sitting still and hearing the voice of God. Does that sound about right? No? Yes? It's okay to, you know, a little feedback here. We're allergic, I think, to sitting still and hearing the voice of God. So, to close this out, I want to spend the remainder of our time giving you 
not just the problem, but how do we interact with it? How do we, how do we have some handholds to do something positive about this? Um, and I want to focus on Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline, um, uh, which I know when Leah preached, uh, you know, about a month ago, she brought that book up. I've brought it up several other times. It's been around for decades. I think it was written in 1978. Um, and he, in that book, Richard Foster, obviously it's about spiritual disciplines. He outlines three inner attitudes, three inner attitudes that give us the freedom that we want from anxiety to simplify your life, the practices for simplicity. And I want you to write them in your journal. Um, and I want you to notice how these are derived from, they, they coincide with, they are kind of linked up with Matthew chapter six, which is the scripture we read earlier. The first one is this, what, what we have, we receive as a gift. What we have, we receive as a gift. So think about all the stuff you have. It's hard for us to get outside of our own minds on this, especially from the day-to-day -day grind when we're working. Some of you work 14-hour days because you're in an industry where you do that. Some of you work longer. Some of you are in the medical profession. Some of you are at schools that are, you, you're there a long time, and then you are, have to go home and grade. Um, and it's all about getting that paycheck, and you're working hard, but it seems hard, it seems hard that what you have, it seems hard to understand that what you have you think it came from you. You think it came from you because it sure seems like it came from us because we worked so hard. But what you need to remember is that everything, God, everything you have comes from God. And I need to remember that too. One way for me to really easily remember that is when I think I've had a long day and I've worked hard, when you think you've worked a really long week or something like that, I want you to realize this. There are people in other places of the world who've worked as long as you and probably harder than you to get a fraction of what you were paid. To get a fraction of it. They, they, they worked as hard as you or harder and as long as you or longer. And that just really hits me in, right in the heart, right? And you go, I have nothing to complain about, which, you know, I, we use that response. Like when somebody says, how are you doing? I, I got nothing to complain about. You do have something to complain about, but you're practicing like I don't want to say that when you say that, right? Um, but it's a shift in your inner attitude to understand that what we have, we receive, receive as a gift. This is also linked directly to why our, our fourth value as a church is generosity, because everything we have, it, none of it is ours. And we want to be generous with it. Foster's second point is that to know that it's, it's God's business, not ours, to protect what we have. And we go to extreme lengths to protect what we have. Um, every, it, it's this understanding that everything we have is cared for by God. And so much of our attention is focused on not losing the things that we have. I mean, I was really, really ticked off when some people uh, last fall came and stole our security cameras <laughs> from outside the building. And they're, you know, they're not my security cameras. They're the church family's security cameras to, you know, we, we want to keep things safe. But it's like, okay, really what could happen? What's the worst, right? And our elders sit around and we go, okay, we're mad. And then we're like, this is dumb. Why are we mad, you know? Um, you know? And we're like, why would they steal them? Well, they want to steal them to sell them, probably. What do they want to sell them? They want to sell them to get money for some reason. 
to buy something that's probably not good for them. And we jump to all these conclusions and assumptions, right? Um, it's God's business, not ours, to protect what we have, our possessions, whether it's a security system on our house or whatever it is that we worry about that keeps us up at night. We think about losing the things that we have um, this week, your 401k, <laughs> your retirement, right? You giggle, but you're nervous and you're anxious, right? Time to buy. Time to buy. Everything's on sale. Everything's on sale. Um, that is the way to look at it, uh, of course, but our bank account, whatever it is, we worry about those things and they produce anxiety. But if we realize that those things are gifted to us, they are cared for by God. And that doesn't mean that things can't be stolen. It doesn't mean that the stock market can't take a nosedive, obviously, right? Um, what it means is that all of those things, all of those things are in God's hands. All of those things are in God's hands, right? We live in a, we, we seriously, amen is right. I mean, we, we worry about all this stuff. As you're worrying about the stock market and your retirement this week, realize that more than half the world doesn't have retirement. And in the centuries before us, no one did, right? Or healthcare or anything like that. So it's in God's hands. And the more work we do to make it secure on our own, we'll not make it secure, and you will still worry about it. <laughs> you will still worry about it. Um, Foster's third point, his, his third inner attitude, is make what we have available to others. You see what he's doing here? He's just, he's just, he's piggybacking off of what Paul says. I'm going to know Christ and him crucified. And he's piggybacking off of what Jesus says. Don't be anxious about all these things. Make what we have available to others. Generosity, share. And I think this is so profoundly difficult for us today as Americans. I think people are getting better at it. I mean, I recently joined uh, here in our neighborhood that um, next door neighbor thing, right? And people are like, you know, you can get annoyed by everything, the little tiny things that are in there. I can. But I watch people sharing stuff and, like, sharing information and, like, giving each other tips and trying to help each other. And I'm like, this, this is pretty good for the most part. Um, but I do think it's, a, it's profoundly difficult for us. If all I have is available to others and something gets stolen... Well, it was available to them to begin with. So it's not that big of a loss. And I'm not glossing over in, like the psychological trauma that can come from having your stuff stolen. Um, that's very difficult. But what I'm saying is it's very different when you hold the things that we own with an open hand. We've, we've gone over this before, right? You hold on to things like this and say, yeah, it's yours, God. Or whether you say that it's mine, whether you hold it with a tight fist. Because when you hold it with a tight fist, it's going to hurt a lot more. It's going to make you worry a lot more. It's going to make you anxious a lot more. Because somebody's going to have to, when they, somebody's going to take it from you, they're going to pry your hand open to get it from you, right? They're going to have to go to a lot of effort versus, yeah, I care about it, but I know God cares about it too, and okay, right? So these inner attitudes, they cultivate simplicity, and they destroy complexity in our lives when it comes to following Jesus, so that we can focus on 
the fact that God cares for us and that we just want to know him and him crucified. We want to seek his kingdom first. So there's these inward realities. And that it's a difficult thing to talk about simplicity because when we talk about this, I could give you a list. In fact, I gave you a list, right? If you turn in your program, take out, take out your program for a minute and look at this list. This is also from Richard Foster, 10 Principles for Living a Simple Life. This is the outward list of like, here's, you come up against this situation and you can do this thing, right? There's a list of things there. Um, the problem is you can do everything on the list and you could still, you could perform all the actions, right? That I've listed for you there. But your heart can still stay the same. Your heart could not change. I could do all the outward stuff. And those inner, inward attitudes I just talked to have to come kind of first for the outward actions to really mean anything. There's this real interior work to be done um, where we have to make the mental shift to simplicity. But there's this work that God is going to do on your heart too when you, when you do these things. That's why those inner attitudes are so important. This whole series on frameworks uh, for the habits of Jesus on our spiritual disciplines, here's the thing about these disciplines. You do the disciplines, but you are not the one causing any growth. You are not the one causing growth. God is the one who is causing growth in you. I want you to think about it this way. Here's a good metaphor. When you work out, when you lift weights, like we all do, right? We all do. Um, when you exercise, whatever it is, lifting weights or running or whatever, um, your muscles are not growing while you're running. Your muscles are not growing while you're rowing. Your muscles are not growing while you're doing yoga. Your muscles are not growing while you're lifting weights. Do you know this? Your muscles grow Afterwards, when you rest, when you are lifting weights, you are literally damaging your muscles by tearing the muscle fibers and making them come apart. And then when you rest, they grow back together, but stronger. Spiritual disciplines are the same thing. Fasting, praying, reading your scripture, those things don't make you grow. Those things just put you in the place, in the posture of, God, I want to hear your voice. I want to know you more. And he's like, finally, I've been waiting. And now I'm going to knit you back together, and I'm going to help you grow. And you're going to get stronger in me. And you're going to get closer to me. I think that as your muscles grow, as they heal, they get larger, and you are capable of more in this kingdom. Uh, it's the same way with these spiritual disciplines. Doing this, these spiritual disciplines that we've been talking about, simplicity and prayer, we're going to talk about confession. Next week, Tim's going to talk about confession. Um, it puts us in a place where God says, okay, I'm going to grow you now. I'm going to change your heart. I'm a, I, I will change you. And I don't know about you, but I wonder, I wonder as a pastor, because and this is not a statement of judgment. It's, a, it's on myself as well. But I wonder how people can follow Christ their whole life and their lives are never changed because I've, I've met Christians on their deathbed and they're still grumpy and mean. 
And it's not like, you could be grumpy and mean and be having a bad day, but I'm like, if that's every day, and um, the things that you say and the attitude with which you say them, I'm going, Do, does anybody want to get to that place and that be you? No. I want to be like, I'm ready. I'm ready. Talk to another friend of mine who's a, a, a pastor, a missionary, and now a professor at Boise Baba College over in Idaho. And he almost died about a year ago from a stroke. And he told me, he said, Worth, I, I was at the hospital and I, I felt like I was in the presence of God, like I was unconscious. And I was like, here I am, Lord, I'm ready. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> that's what I want to be like. I don't know about you. And he's done a lot of this spiritual discipline in his life. If you met this man, uh, I would like to have him come preach. His name is Danny Herod, professor of missions over at Boise Bible College. But um, I, think, I think for those people who don't change, who've lived their whole life, I think that you have these opportunities, these moments to practice spiritual disciplines that are going to help you. And simplicity is one of those. God is not going to pry your hand open. He's not going to pry your hand open. God is a respecter of our will. And if we refuse to change, he will allow us to never change, is what I've, I've come to that realization. Okay? And that's one of the reasons why I say age isn't really a factor when it comes to spiritual maturity, because I've met people younger than me where I go, wow, that, that was so spiritually mature. Um, so in your program, I have given you the outward uh, expressions of simplicity now that we've talked about the inward ones. Here's what I would say about these. Don't get all legalistic about these. Please don't get all like, oh, I better do this or I'm bad, you know, or everybody needs to be doing this or they're evil or something like that. Um, don't get all legalistic about it because simplicity is going to look different for each one of us because we're all different. I am convicted that some of us are going to need to give stuff up during Lent and some of us are going to need to add some stuff in. Some of us are not really going to have to give anything up because we don't, we don't love things the same way as other people do. Um, so these are principles. They're not laws. Don't, don't treat them like that. But I want you to take this list home and figure out how to use it in your life. Maybe, maybe cut this out and put it on your mirror in your bathroom uh, or fold it up and put it by the dash in your car or something like that or take it to work and put it by your computer or whatever you, whatever you need to do. But um, I want you to, to have this and, and start figuring out how, how, how it's going to work in your life. Also, I would say this, number 10, if you go all the way down to number 10, where it says, shun whatever would distract you from your main goal. What's your main goal? To seek first the kingdom of God. Okay? We want to be faithful in following Jesus. Um, I want to give you some homework, and then we're going to wrap this up. So I'm going to invite the band back up here, um, and uh, we're going to have communion in a minute. So Mark's going to come down and uh, lead us in communion. But I want to give you something called a habit audit. You all know what an audit is because tax time is coming up, and uh, you should do your taxes. <laughs> um, but habit, a habit audit um, I want to give you a, another like a physical thing that you can do, a tangible piece that you can take home. Take a look at your rhythms and habits. You have this journal that I've given you. Uh, in order to, in order to stand, understand what you love, 
you might need to write down what your day looks like. Try it, try it for like a week and see what happens. Keep a short and simple diary of your habits and your patterns and uh, use that notebook and keep it with you. Uh, make a note of how much time you spend on certain activities. So it might look like this. Let me just run this through with you. Daily, it might look like this. Uh, 15 minutes of making coffee and having breakfast or whatever in the morning. Um, total of like 1.5 hours of preparing meals every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner or something like that. An hour at the gym. Two hours of TV at night? I don't know. How many of you? I don't know. Two hours of social media a day? Like, and that might be like, okay, I just did social media for like how long? Oh my gosh, five minutes. Oh my gosh, 10 minutes here. Oh my gosh, 20 minutes here. Something like that. Two hours going out at, on Wednesday night and $35 I spent on dinner or something like that. And then whatever. You could just put it in screen time, you know, instead of social media and TV. You could write it down is the point. How many of you have ever um, done like an exercise or how many of you have ever done uh, like a, a calorie counting program? Anybody ever done that? Trying to lose some weight? Okay. Some people don't want to admit it. Hmm. Okay, so I have, I, I got this app a couple years ago called Lose It, because I was trying to lose some weight, and um, uh, I went through for every time I ate something, and I literally punched in, I ate one egg, I had two cups of coffee, I had this many ounces of creamer, and I did this for like a month, okay, and so then it tells you, oh, you're this old, you're a male, you're this tall, this is your body weight, and they're like, this is how many calories you should be eating. And what I noticed right away was I was eating way hundreds and hundreds of calories more, you know, for what I should have been putting in my body, right? That's the point of this exercise of a habit audit, right? Take a journal of what you're into, what you do, and write it down. And then ask yourself this, have I, have I spent any time this week or this day Seeking first the kingdom of God. Right? That's, that's the purpose. Let's just keep the total. Sounds kind of intense. Just try it for a few days if that's all you can handle, okay? And, um, and see, you might be surprised. See what happens, okay? Um, I, think it, I think it would be worth it because normally we're not thinking about these things, but when we see it on paper, we're like, whoa, that's amazing how much time I spent on this kind of stuff. Or like me, it was like, wow, that's bad. I need to stop eating. Um, so it's kind of a way to bring you back to reality uh, so that you can seek first the kingdom of God. So uh, Mark, why don't you come? I'm going to pray, and why don't you come, and then we'll, we will partake in communion together.